0: Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. So last week we started into Luke chapter one and began it kind of a unusual place for the Christmas narrative. And by unusual, it shouldn't be unusual. But uh, oftentimes when we come to this time of year, uh, we skip right past Zachariah and Elizabeth and jump to Mary and Joseph and, of course, Jesus. And just to kind of recap, because it's pertinent to today, uh, in the first uh, section of Luke chapter one, we see Zechariah and Elizabeth introduced. Uh, they faithful servants of the Lord who are advanced in years and without children. We see that in verse seven. <clears throat> the angel Gabriel shows up to Zechariah while he's in the temple. And goes, surprise, Elizabeth's going to have a baby. It's not what he actually said, but. Trust me, when I say Zachariah was quite surprised and it showed in his response, how shall I know this? And in so responding, what we learn about Zachariah in that moment is <clears throat> that it is one thing to seek the Lord and be faithful to the Lord and know that the Lord can do something. It's another To have faith that he will or can do it. And Zechariah, in his questioning here, uh, is uh, really confronted by Gabriel. And as a consequence of his unbelief, in a sense, uh, he is said he will be mute until these things come to pass. So, uh, Elizabeth... Right after this, Elizabeth conceives, just as the angel said she would. And this brings us to a place in verse 26, where I want to begin our time today. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, same angel, by the way, that appeared to Zechariah, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth sixth month with her who is was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I want to pause a minute and I want us to say that verse 37 together out loud where it says for nothing will be impossible with God. Okay, let's let's say that out loud together. One, two, three. For nothing will be impossible with God. Hang on to that. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, when we step back last week, we we started into looking what it, what is the true spirit of Christmas? What should it be for those who say we follow Christ? And we looked at grace, God's grace to use imperfect people in the midst of a messy world To bring about his purposes. God's unearned favor to his created people. That's grace. And therefore should stimulate in us a mindset and an attitude of grace. In the same way that Jesus commanded his disciples, as you have seen me do, so do to one another. Our example for what this should look like is Christ. But today... We're going to look at another aspect of this faith. Now, anytime we encounter the word faith, many times there's aspects of that that just crop into our minds. Uh, We might even throw that word around in everyday week to week life in ways that don't mean the same thing that the biblical definition of faith actually does. Others of us, we hear the word faith and we immediately go to Hebrews 11 Which lists all these people who walked by faith and it was counted to them as righteousness. But here we see yet another exemplary visual picture of those used by God, but also who had great faith in what God was doing. And so if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to grab hold of this and we're going to see the character of this in today's narrative. Faith is being confident everyone say confident It's being confident that God will accomplish his purposes and That his way of doing so is best Being confident that God will accomplish his purposes and that his way of doing so is best Now We see a statement like this, and I ask the question, where do we see Mary model this kind of faith? Well, if we look at just the response of Mary in verse 38, where she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If we stop and we ponder that for a moment, How many situations in our life as the church are we willing to echo the same thing? What is the line for us? Is there a line? Biblically, should there be a line where we go, you know what, Lord? This is what it sounds like. You know what, God? I'm willing to go this far. But as soon as we cross over into this section, I'm out. Now, realistically saying, uh, most of us won't admit where that line is in our life. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Most of us, naturally speaking, if asked on any given day, in any given moment, is your faith in the Lord? Many of you would say yes. Uh, also, if asked, are there times when you struggle With faith in the Lord. You're going to say yes. That being said. If you're put in Mary's shoes here. How would you respond? If we're approached in this way. And God makes it clear that he's going to use us for this work. How would we respond? Now, it's a rhetorical question because you and I really don't know how we would respond until we're faced with that situation. Some of you have learned things about your own faith through the circumstances you faced. Maybe that it was stronger than you thought, or maybe that it wasn't as strong as you thought. And yet what we see here in Mary is an example of faith in the Lord that surpasses a mere understanding of who God is. I am the servant of the Lord Priority number one Let it be to me According to your word Faith is being confident That God will accomplish his purposes And that his way of doing it is best Now why would this m- Maybe have been so surprising That Mary would respond this way Why is it that uh, We should be shocked Or maybe learn from How Mary responds in this moment Well Here's some potential challenges that Mary is facing in this moment to her walking in faith. Number one, she's not married. She's betrothed. And in biblical culture, betrothal was a legally binding agreement. It's not engagement, as many people define it, but it actually the the marriage documents, if you were, were already solidified. But she was not yet married. Well, in biblical culture, being being pregnant and not married was a problem. And it was often looked down upon in the same way that being barren was looked down upon. And many people assumed that both of these were the result of sinful behavior. That was the common perspective of this. So you put yourself in Mary's shoes and you go all of a sudden... That would be a challenge. And that would no doubt be running through your mind in some way. What's this going to look like? Second challenge here, within the faith proposition, Mary actually asks a question about in verse 34 How will this be since I am a virgin? Gabriel, I hear what you're saying, but it doesn't make sense. This is a challenge. How is it that God is going to accomplish this when I'm not married and I'm a virgin? Mary is well aware of how this happens. And yet, this is where Gabriel responds very clearly. Number one, by directing her attention to what many people would have deemed the impossible situation of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And then echoing that by saying, nothing will be impossible for God. Nothing will be impossible. In other words, Mary, the full details of that, you don't need to worry about. What you do need to know is that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And you're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son. Nothing is impossible for God. That would have been a challenge to many of us. Because some of you, I, I'm curious. How many of you are my logical thinkers? Like, give me point A to point B. Give me the map. Give me the steps. Okay. How many of you are more emotionally driven in nature? Show me. All right. You know, don't be ashamed of either one of those. God designs people in such neat ways that there's differences in that. But if you're a logical thinker, and and we don't know what Mary was here. We we don't know. But if you're a logical thinker, you're you're hearing this and you're going, it doesn't compute. Challenge to our faith. Will she choose to believe that God can do this? That his purposes will be accomplished and his way of doing it is best? Or will she doubt in that? And what we see in verse 38 is she has a confidence in the Lord to say, I'm your servant. Let it be to me. Another aspect that we can see in this narrative Uh, Accordingly, uh, would be maybe even fears of her husband, not her, her betrothed to be husband, Joseph, not supporting her in this. You realize in the moment that Gabriel comes and in the moment that Mary responds and says, let it be to me. She is welcoming whatever response is going to come when this news meets her husband to be. And that very well could have come with a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. It could have come with a lot of unknowns. It did come with a lot of unknowns. Definitely wasn't going according to what they had planned. And yet her faith in the Lord was enough to not say, well, all right, uh, Gabriel, can I first go and check with Joseph to make sure we're still going to be good? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not I don't want to be a single parent. I don't I don't want to navigate this by myself. I'm I'm kind of concerned here that when he finds out about this, Joseph's going to be upset. And she would have had reason to assume that. Any of you in the same situation, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. We got a problem, right? And yet her faith is such that she responds in this moment. There's a confidence here that if the Lord has purposed to do this. He will carry it to completion. There's a confidence here that the Lord has done so so much more. In so much bigger settings. That he's going to take care of my needs too. There's another aspect of Mary's character that we see here echoed in Elizabeth. And it's interesting. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaims and recognizes that Mary is indeed carrying the Lord Jesus. And this she speaks after a greeting. There's nothing in the text that would say Mary, Mary communicated to her what had happened to her here. It says she, she travels to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And comes in the door and greets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women! Blessed is the fruit of your womb! Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's profound. But then she she goes on, behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Why is that? Well, if you go back in chapter one, you find out that Elizabeth and Zachariah's son, and when Gabriel communicated, she's going to have a son. He's going to pave the way for the Lord. He is going to foreshadow the Lord and the ministry that's going to be done in Jesus. This is all intertwined together. And so even the response of this baby in the womb recognizes the presence of the Lord Jesus. Think about that. In verse 45, though, we see so much about Mary's character spoken by Elizabeth in this moment. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. If you ask the question, why is it that Mary asks a question in verse 34 and is fine, but Zechariah in verse 18 asks a question and his mouth is shut? Well, there's a heart difference here. And this is affirmed in that Elizabeth says, Mary, she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken her. There's a, there's a faith here. A faith in what? That God would accomplish His purposes. That God said it. He's going to do it. And my faith is secure in this. And that's a big difference from someone saying, I have faith, but I, I really question whether God is able. Is our faith, church family, more zoned in on what we believe is possible? Or on who we recognize God to be. What is our faith in? At the end of the day, we've got to answer that question on a level to say, even as a church body, who do we put our faith in? I pray you don't put it in me. Because I'm a fallible person just like you. Who desperately needs Jesus. And desperately needs reminded that we've got to pursue life in Christ together. But there is one who we celebrate this time of year who came so that we fix our eyes on our very Lord, our very Savior, God incarnate in the flesh, Jesus. So when we think about these truths and we look at the example of Mary, the the broader question we need to ask is, how does one have or seek to pursue this type of faith? How do we do it? What are some practical ways that we can shift our mindset? Because I know just in this room, there's so many who have every reason from a worldly sense to doubt what 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 is God doing? Where's he at? What's happening? It feels like chaos. My life is in shambles. My relationships are tossed all over the place. Some of you, especially this time of year, it's just extra painful. Because you see family gathered and maybe there's division there. Maybe there's desired healing that's not happening. Maybe you're facing a trial that that's all you can fixate on right now. And so in the midst of the mountaintops and the valleys, how do we maintain a faith exemplified in the person of Mary? How do we do that? Number one, ask this question, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's really interesting when you look at this phrase where Gabriel says nothing will be impossible for God. And you look at throughout scripture, where do we see this similar phrase spoken? And we see it in Genesis 18. Which is really significant because God gave this covenant promise to Abraham. That there would be a multitude of people that came from him. And this was before he had any children. Just like Elizabeth, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed at herself. Why did she laugh? Well, this was after the Lord said, Sarah, you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a son. You're gonna bear a child. And she, she laughed. (laughs) Ha! After I am worn out, and my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? In a similar way, in Jeremiah 32. Now, this is really interesting because there's a lot happening here in Jeremiah. And just to give you the broader background of Jeremiah, in the midst of this, the nation of, as a whole is under siege. And it's because, and you actually see this if you keep reading in Jeremiah 32, it's because the nation of Israel in Jeremiah had completely abandoned the commandments of God. Once again, they had gone their own way, ignored the commandments of God, and so God was raising up the nation of of Babylon to come in and take control. Well, why was this such a big deal? It was a big deal because of God's promises Well, before this, where God said, I'm going to establish my people, this is going to be their land, the promised land, clear back in Exodus, that this this will this will be theirs. And in the midst of this siege, the Lord gives Jeremiah a prophetic word that basically says, go into this place and buy these fields and it was a way of God reaffirming and saying, just because this nation is rising up and taking over doesn't mean that I'm still not going to do what I already purposed to do. And when Jeremiah realizes this, this is what he says, "Ah, oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So even in the midst of the chaos, Jeremiah is looking out and he's going, I, do, I don't see it. Because I just see the siege that's coming and Jeremiah had the prophetic word from the Lord that the nation was going to be destroyed. And yet he comes back to this place and goes, nothing's too hard for the Lord. The Lord, even in the midst of the mess, will still do exactly what he's purposed to do. In Luke chapter 18, this is actually the ministry of Jesus. We see this example of the rich young ruler And afterwards, Jesus says, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the people who heard it started kind of getting concerned about that statement. Then who can be saved? And Jesus' response is, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Relating this all the way to salvation itself, church family. Salvation itself. This ultimately transitions us over to the second way that we can grow and flourish in this type of faith. And it is consider what God has already done in Christ. If you and I are prone to doubt the Lord's ability to accomplish anything related to his purposes. Then we need stop and reflect On salvation itself. You see, Scripture makes it clear that salvation is by grace through what? It's through faith. Not of works. You can't earn God's favor. No amount of you doing good things will get you to the right place with God. And the reason for that is because if it was by good things, guess what we would do? We'd get together and we'd go, ha, what'd you do for the Lord this week? Let me tell you what I did. I tell you what, I'm inching up. I'm, I'm getting there. Like, I think I've almost made it. How, but then the question becomes, how do we know? If, if salvation is through what we do on our own, how do we know when we've done enough? And the answer is, you, you, you wouldn't. You would have an insecurity to say, I hope, and I hear this all the time, when I sit with people on their deathbed, I hope I've done enough. I hope I have, the, the good I have done outweighs the bad. It's not what it's about. Because God already recognized you can't do enough to be righteous. You can't do enough to reach the holiness that a holy God requires for us to be in his presence. We can't do enough. And that's, that's the bad news. What's the good news? The gospel. That God made a way in Christ. That we can trust in the name of Jesus, recognizing that I will never be able to do enough. But that Christ himself is enough. And when we recognize that and we say, because I see that I can't do enough, I choose to follow the one who is enough. That's salvation. I follow Jesus. And stop and think about what God has done in Christ. If God made a way for people like you and I. To be counted as righteous through his son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Paul recognized this. And I think this is where our aim should be over time. Because you and I, the reason we struggle with faith so much is because our faith is placed in things that don't last. Our faith is placed in relationships. Our faith is placed in stuff. Our faith is placed in money. Our faith is, you fill in the blank. And yet what Paul gathers in Philippians chapter three and what he what he says here is whatever gain I had, I count it as what loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or manure is what that word means in order that I may gain Christ In light of what God has already done in Christ. Here's the third way we can apply this. And live a faith seen in the person of Mary. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 1 Peter chapter 5. In this emphasis to expect suffering. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. A response of genuine faith that the Lord is able is that He's the first place I go when I'm faced with anxiety and fear. Why? Because I know He is able. But more than that, I know because of what He's done for me in Christ that He cares for me far more than anybody else. Lastly, this one is the hardest, I believe. Ask yourself whose way is best. Faith is being confident that God will accomplish His purposes and that whose way? (laughs) His way is best. And every time I, every time I think about this question, I think about how in transitional seasons, whether it's family transitions, whether it is job transitions, whether you've any, any type of transition, we are always prone to think that our way of doing whatever's transitioning is the best way. If you ever work with, uh, like, if you ever work with someone in a specific trade environment, you'll you get this. This is the way. This is the only way to do it. Well, what if I can do it like this? Nope, this is the only way. Right? Or even, I I know I was talking with a brother this last week who's training someone to take his place at his job. And he said, one of the hardest things is I realize in the process of training this other person that I've convinced myself that my way is the best way. And so I'm training this person and they're doing things not the way that I would do them. And, and when I, when I start talking to them about it, I realize, well, why, why have I convinced myself that my way is the best way? What, what if they come up with a better way to do it? All that to say, you and I are most prone to prideful thinking when it comes to our own way of doing things. It's, it's the very reason why, family, we have to come back and say, it really doesn't matter what I think or what you think, it matters what God says. Because if we're left to our own devices, uh, we end up like Job's friends in the Old Testament who sat with him and tried to figure out why he was experiencing the trials he was experiencing. And all of them had their own idea about what was what was going on and why it was happening and what was taking place. And none, they all failed to point him back to truth. You and I are prone to do the same thing. We look at the world around us and we give our own opinion and input about what's going on and why it's going on and what's happening next, what's taking place. And if we're not careful, we become a lot more dependent on our own knowledge of situations than we become dependent on the one who knows all situations. Genuine faith steps back and goes, I know what God has purposed to do. He said it. He's told us and, and I'm confident he's going to fulfill his his purposes, but it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, God, I don't understand why you're doing it this way, but I'm resting in the fact that your way of going about this is best. The hardest part about that is God's way of going about it may be stripping everything away from you that you hold closest we step back in scripture and we look at abraham and sarah why was it that god waited till they were in their old age to give them a child because god purposed to do exactly what he purposed to do and his timing of that was exactly what it needed to be why is it that he allowed joseph to be taking slave captive in egypt for years away from his family and his land well because god saw that there was. God foreknew there was going to be a famine in the land, and the only way to preserve the very nation he promised to continue to flourish was for Joseph to be in a place of leadership where he could help bring that to be. Think about Moses in an age where all of these infants are being killed. And so his mother sets him in a basket and floats him down the river. And you think, gosh, how hard for his mother To make that decision in that moment. We wrestle with her in that. Thinking about, could this be the only way to save my child? And having confidence that the Lord would be faithful to preserve his life. Not knowing where he would end up. And yet God's purpose is to raise up Moses in the midst of Egypt. And then equip him to bring out the nation of Israel in Exodus. You think of Gideon, the farmer and judges. Who God approached and said, Gideon, I want you to lead an army. And Gideon's kind of reluctant. He goes, God, you've got the wrong guy. I'm a farmer. I don't know what you're what you're doing. And God says, I want you to gather these people and fight the Midianites, who were described as their armies being like the sand on the seashore. So Gideon rallies a bunch of guys together. And what does God do? Nope. Go home. Go home. You get 300 guys. In that moment, Gideon's going, are you kidding me? I was already insecure about this, Lord. Now you're going to strip me of all these men. Give me 300 guys. God will accomplish his purposes and his way is best. You think of Daniel who ends up in the lion's den and yet testifies that faith in the Lord has the power to shut the lion's mouth. Zachariah and Elizabeth, who were faithful servants of the Lord and who God used in their old age to bring about John the Baptist, who foretells... The coming of the Lord. And then we see Mary. Who in the midst of a chaotic transitional season of her life. Simply goes, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you purposed it to be. And then we see Christ. And we think about salvation. And we step back and we go. God is faithful to fulfill exactly what he purposed to do. So I want to leave you with this question, family. Will we remain confident that God will accomplish his purposes and sure that his way of doing it is best? Will we remain confident of that no matter what comes? This Christmas season, we have the opportunity to live in such a way that regardless of the mountain you're facing right now, you can say, my God made the mountains. Nothing is impossible for him. In the face of the deepest, darkest trial that we face, we can recognize that Jesus bore the sinfulness of mankind on the cross. That we could have life and we can go. I have everything I need in Jesus. My faith is secure. But it takes us making a choice a choice to step back and ask who is our faith in? What is our faith in? Will we allow ourselves to be used for His purposes? God's going to do exactly what He's purposed to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as they do, I want to read this song that Mary sings in verses 46 through 55. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He is scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Church family, may we this Christmas recognize the opportunity we have to exemplify a faith like Mary. And all the more so knowing what was accomplished in Christ. It's the very reason we celebrate the coming of Jesus. Let's not lose sight of that. Because Jesus, Jesus didn't stay an infant. He grew, He ministered, He died, He rose, He ascended, He's coming back. May our faith be rooted in Christ alone, knowing God has already accomplished his purposes exactly as he said he would up to this point. He's going to continue. And I'm going to tell you, his way of going about that is best. We just may not understand it until we're with him. But let's fix our eyes on him. That we might not be discouraged or dismayed in the face of whatever comes. That he would be glorified in his church. Amen. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace and hope of Jesus. Thank you for the joy that is celebrated as we consider what Christ has done. I pray that you would reinvigorate in us a faith that looks like Mary's, where we could say, I'm a servant of God. Let it be to us exactly as you have said. Father, that we be a people sold out for the things that matter. That you would reveal in us the things that uh distract and dissuade us from pursuing you and you alone. Father, we give you praise for the hope that we have in Christ and that that is secure. I pray for our brothers and sisters now who struggle to walk in faith because of the hurt that they've experienced, because of the pain and anguish that they've, they've endured. That you would renew their strength, that you would remind them of the great love you've had for them Shown most specifically in the one we celebrate this time of year. God, most of all, may you unite us as a people around these truths. That we would be a church who trusts in your plan. And has confidence in your purposes. Help us to run with endurance the race before us. As we step onto the field today. Knowing that you have gone before us and paved the way. We have no reason to fear. In Jesus' name we pray these things.